Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I want you to come with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. And uh, we're going to read um, a decent sized chunk of scripture. And in the middle of it is Jeremiah 29 11, which is on coffee mugs in Christian households all over the world. Everybody knows this verse and everybody takes it wildly out of context. So we're going to fix that tonight. Um, but uh, I want to prepare you for an extended period of fighting that we will be in. And I'm going to be honest with you, when I first came to this church, you know, and, I, and this church, we talk a lot about, you know, our city, saving a city, going to battle for a city, and taking our region, and da, da, da. And if I was honest and transparent, when I first came to this church, I was like, I don't care. Because, like, God's not even answering, like, my own prayers. I'm still just trying to figure out how to get my own life together. I don't have the bandwidth to even think about my city, my region, my world, my nation. Like, I'm just trying to get, get my prayers answered. And so there was this, um, I, I had a, a, a pretty long stint of the first few years of being at this church where it was just kind of frustrating to me because everybody was just talking about, come on, we're going to take a city for Jesus. And, we're, da, da, da. and I just, like, wasn't feeling it. And I, you know, and I wanted to be a good soldier. I'm like, yeah, me too. But just really in my own private quiet time, wasn't praying for my city, wasn't praying for my region, wasn't praying for my nation. And maybe you find yourself in here today. Maybe that's you and that's okay. Um, but I want to, um, help save you a lot of frustration that I had to walk through myself because the Bible says in Matthew, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Then all of these things will be added to you. Okay, it doesn't say seek first your prayer requests. Seek first the things you need. It says seek first the kingdom. That's way bigger than you. And when you seek that first, then all these things will be added to you. And all these things, literally, Jesus is talking about like material things. He's not talking, he's talking about stuff like clothing and food. And so I had to learn this lesson the hard way that when you actually get your eyes off of your own needs and put them on the kingdom, that you will magically find that God will begin to bless all the areas of your life that you have need and all the areas. And so I want to walk us through a blueprint. The title of my message is uh, The Blueprint for Saving a City. And we're going to see in Jeremiah 29 what this looks like. So Jeremiah 29, we're going to start in verse 4 and read all the way through verse 14. I think it's going to be on the screen behind me. It says... Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles. Oh, wait, I'm reading out the wrong translation. Sorry. Here we go. Thus says the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay? So 
get you caught up historically. This is when the Israelites were carted off into Babylon. They're in Babylonian exile, not in the promised land that God brought them to. They're in captivity. And in the Bible, Babylon always represents a spirit of the world. Okay, so keep that in mind. That's where we find ourselves. So verse five, this is what God tells the children of Israel while you are in Babylonian captivity. Here's what I want you to do. This is the blueprint. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Verse six, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And here it is, the coffee mug verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And everyone's like, you know, you like, anybody goes through anything, it's Jeremiah 29, 29 11 will fix it. And then the verse before it, Jesus says, oh, hey, you're going to be in exile, by the way, for 70 years, but I know the plans I have for you. They're good. I'm sure everyone's like, oh, 70 years in exile, good plans, my future prospering, not feeling it, right? So I want to look at this blueprint for um, saving a city. Now, Again, as I mentioned, I had a really hard time with, with this idea of, of, I'm just like, man, I just am trying to get God to, to listen to me and to answer the things I need. I've got basic, but I want to, the reason that we as, especially as Americans and especially as Westerners struggle with that is because a, the pervasive culture of Western civilization is what you call individualism. Individualism is opposed to collectivism. And in an individualistic culture, the needs, desires, wants, dreams of the individual are more important than the collective, than, than the people, than the society. In a collectivist society, the needs of the group are more important than the needs of the individual. Now, I will tell you a very important lesson that I learned in 2020. If you want to know how to think, it's really easy. You just look at the way that the rest of the world is thinking and you think the other way. It's a perfect litmus test, okay? You will notice that when, I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not up to date on all the Ukraine stuff. I'm not going to attempt to be any kind of subject matter expert. I am not in the know. I'm ignorant, but I know because every major brand, you know, puts up a save Ukraine flag, I know there's something fishy going on. I just know. And that's all I need to know because the spirit of the world is always at enmity with the spirit of God. Every single June, you bet your bottom dollar that every company is going to all of a sudden change their logo to a rainbow version of their logo. And I know if that's the way the world's thinking, 
then that's not God's way of thinking. I'm like, listen, Domino's Pizza, I don't care what marginalized community you're supporting in June. I just want you to get my pizza here in less than two hours, okay? That's all I want. That's all I'm into. My kids are hungry. Please get my pizza here, Domino's, okay? Not bitter, not, not upset about what happened last week. I'm over it. So you'll know how to think because you just need to think the opposite of what the world is thinking. When you hear every celebrity piping off on whatever it is, then you know for sure that it is not of the spirit of heaven, period. That's how you know. That's your litmus test, okay? So I want to give you three points for the blueprint of saving a city. And I'm telling you, okay, and it's weird. It's like one of the, you know, as I was kind of newer to faith, like one of the great paradoxes of Christianity is so Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. Now I want you to really, this one, this like really messes with my brain because you think about it, it is better to give than to receive. So what you, what you want to think with that is, okay, it's not about my needs. It's not about me. It's about giving to others, right? It's about self-sacrifice. But, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, it's better for you to give than to receive. So it's actually self-serving for you to put others' needs before your own. It's such a little, like, it's, it's crazy. It's like a, it blows my mind. It's like, it's actually selfish to be selfless. It's upside down, it's backwards. And the more you will find that as you give of yourself, as you take the focus of your prayer life and take the focus of your energy off of you, and onto your city and onto the uh, sphere of culture that God has placed you in, you will find magically that you feel more filled up, that you benefit, that there's great dividends for you. So I'm going to give you three points of the blueprint of how to save a city. The first one, and I just, I love this. So when God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah, and I'm going to give you a little bit more historical context. So Jeremiah 28 the chapter before Jeremiah 29, 28 is the number right before 29, that's how I knew that, is uh, really pretty crazy because there's another prophet, not Jeremiah, that stands up and says, Israel, I have great news. The Lord has spoken to me. You're only going to be in exile for two years. And then the king, or then God is going to break the yoke of the king of Babylon and we're all going to go back. And then God speaks to Jeremiah and says, he's a false prophet it's not going to be two years. It's going to be 70 years. And so then God kills him, the false prophet, okay? That's why, you know, you get up here, you got to be careful. I got to, I'm like, Lord, I'm gonna, I want to say what's right. I don't want to be, I want to be smited, okay? And so that's the context is a prophet has just gotten up and given the people false hope. It's all going to be over in two years. We're gonna be, and then Jeremiah's like, actually, it's going to be 70 years. But in those 70 years, the way, and again, you need to understand that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Babylon always represents the spirit of the world. So the people of God are in captivity, taken hostage by the spirit of the world. Is that not where we find ourselves today? The people of God, we're in exile. We're outnumbered. The spirit, the voice of the spirit of the world is infinitely louder than the voice of the believers. Like we live right now in a, in a Babylonian exile time in our, like where the moment in time we find ourselves right now. So God says, 
in order for you to be fruitful in these 70 years and for me to return you to the promised land, and for us what that would look like is this nation flipping back to a land that is built on biblical values, on principles of heaven, what that looks like, here's the blueprint. I love the first thing he says. Point number one, build houses and plant gardens. That's point number one. That's why the prosperity of Christians is so important. You have a responsibility to prosper, to build houses, to plant gardens. There's a a guy that goes um, to another campus up north and just bought a a house. It's an amazing home, beautiful, uh, you know, big, fancy, awesome house. And great, awesome. He was telling the story of, um, of... meeting the the homeowner and walking the house and then you know the this guy that bought the house that goes to our church noticed kind of all this christian paraphernalia up on the walls and bible verses and so it's like hey are you, are you a, a believer and the guy's like yeah yeah i am you know i said oh my gosh me too and the guy who's very successful owns this really really nice house was so taken back and he was like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm so blown away. Like it's been on my heart that I, I had to sell this house to another Christian, but I didn't think another Christian could afford it. And he was so just taken back that, that someone, another believer would be able to afford this house. And that's, I don't like that. That makes me sad. That makes me very sad. That hurts my heart. The story of the Good Samaritan the, the good Samaritan finds, you guys know the story, finds this man that's beaten up and he takes him, puts him on his donkey, takes him to a hospital and tells the innkeeper, hey, I've got to keep going on business, but whatever's on his tab, I want you to take him, I want you to heal him up, I want you to put it on my tab and then just keep him for three months. And then when I'm done with my business journey, I'll come back and I'll settle up on the tab. That's no joke. To rack up three months of hospital bills, the Good Samaritan was a successful, wealthy business person. I've heard Pastor Jurgen say that most Christians can't afford to be Christians. Come on. It is, we are called to prosper. And again, I know that looks like different things for different people and everybody's at a different spot in their journey and that's totally fine. But the, the mandate from God to, to be fruitful in a time of Babylonian captivity was to build houses and plant gardens for the people of God to get to work. Now, if, uh, if every... You guys remember The Simpsons? I wasn't allowed to watch it growing up for some reason, which is really weird because my parents let me watch all kinds of other really terrible things, but then I couldn't watch The Simpsons, which is very strange. Anyway, you guys remember Ned Flanders? Mr. Pleated Pants, green polo tucked in, Ned Flanders, and he's sort of the the picture of the evangelical Christian, and he's just a loser. Heidi-ho, neighborino. Like, that's how people think Christians talk. If I ever say Heidi-ho, neighborino, please fire me as your pastor and I'm no longer worthy to be called your pastor. And that's the image of Christians that we're just, just hanging on till heaven to the by and by, you know, just, and it's like somebody comes up to you. That's not a believer. And it's like, why should I be a Christian? And you're like, well, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, my, I'm poor. My life sucks. Uh, not really, not really very happy. Um, but you know, you'll have heaven one day. 
that's not going to be very effective. Christians who serve the all-powerful, infinite creator God of the universe must be the most successful, the most prosperous people in the land. We have a mandate, a responsibility to prosper, to get to work, to build houses, to plant gardens. Now, I purposefully left off a little part because the Bible says through the prophet Jeremiah to the children of God, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat of the fruit of their produce. How amazing is that? God's saying, he's not just saying, hey, I want you to work and build houses and give them away to the poor or work and build houses and then sell them and give all your money to the church. He's saying, I want you to build houses and live in them. And I want you to plant gardens, grow stuff and eat it. Feast on the, on the increase from your land. God is saying, what I want for you to succeed in this time of Babylonian captivity is to be successful, to build houses and dwell in them, to plant gardens and eat from the produce, to enjoy the things in life that the work of your hand produces. How amazing is that? God says in, in Psalm 33 that he delights in the prosperity of his people. Now, Lemmy is about to get, my wife's not here, so I get to be as offensive as I want to be, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, because I'm, I'm about to do some things that, eee. it's Stacy's 15-year anniversary, so she's in a great mood, she won't get mad at me, get to do whatever I want. I'm going to tell you what's at stake if we don't prosper, because if you think about it, if the wealth of the world is not in the hands of the righteous, then there's only one other option, that it's in the hands of the unrighteous, of the wicked. So, if we could put this slide up really quick. This is the tax return of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation filed in 2020. That is gross receipts of donations from people for $80 million. $80 million, okay? $80 million of people that were uh, moved with compassion, gave their money to what they thought was a great cause. I want you to go to the next slide. This is public record, by the way. It's a 501c3 charity, so you can literally Google Alex Cervantes can probably get up here and just give a speech on every little detail that I don't know what I'm talking about. These are, this is the grants section of the tax return that shows who Black Lives Matter Global Foundation gave money to. And again, this organization, you know, piggybacking off of tragic events, the deaths of African Americans, protesting police brutality, allegedly, in our nation, and then you start looking at some of these organizations that they're giving money to. $200,000 to the House of Tulip, which is a transgendered real estate organization where they find homes for transgendered people. The St. James Infirmary, which is a foundation started by sex workers for sex workers to support them in their sex working. The Transgender Variant and Intersex Justice Project, $200,000. The Transgender District, 
care of, in care of James Infirmary, the same one from above, $200,000. The Trans Justice Funding Project, $200,000. The Trans United Fund, $200,000. Transgender Advocates, $400,000. Transgender Law Center, $200,000. What does that have to do with police brutality in the United States? Go to the next slide. This is a $6 million mansion purchased by the Black Lives Matter Global Network that's in, on Laurel Canyon Drive in just about the whitest neighborhood in the world. And the whole premise of the Black Lives Matter movement was African Americans are not safe in white spaces. The, you know, the white supremacy is rampant everywhere. And then they're buying a $6 million mansion in just about the whitest place in the world. And this is called a campus for the Black Lives Matter Global Network. And the, all of the social media content and YouTube content generated by the founder of Black Lives Matter just so happens to be in this mansion. I mean, almost like she lives there. I mean, clearly she doesn't because it's a campus. It's not a private home. That would be wildly illegal. But somehow all of the, the social media content and video content that she's producing, you see this same kitchen island, you see this same patio, this same patio deck, what is so sad, and I remember, you know, Katie and I were, were very new pastors in 2020, in May of 2020 when George Floyd was killed, and we saw in this country racial tension that we haven't seen in a really long time. And as a young pastor, there were people in my church, African Americans in my church, that were really hurting. And because they were hurting, I was hurting. But what is so wicked is the devil has no class, no tact, nothing. And so he will piggyback and hijack on any trauma, doesn't care how sensitive, doesn't care, and will use it for wickedness. So this organization is, is sending money and promote, taking the generosity of well-meaning people and sending it to anything that fits their agenda. Transgender organizations promoting LBGTQ plus AI, whatever, agendas, that's wickedness. That's wickedness. That's what's at stake. If the righteous don't have the wealth of the land, then guess who does? The unrighteous. We have a responsibility to prosper. We need the wealth of the world in the hands of the righteous, where we can build churches that are houses of transformation. We want to see an awakened church that's not any further than 20 minutes. That's the vision of Pastor Jurgen is 16 campuses in San Diego. You want to know why? It's not a random number. It's because with 16 campuses, there will be Nowhere that anybody can live in San Diego County where they are not 20 minutes away from an awakened church because the local church is the hope of the world. And I was so reminded and so moved on Tuesday morning, I was here at men's prayer and as I was walking out, I got to meet a gentleman that, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't recognize him. So I just introduced myself and, and he just told me like, Hey, you know, I came to this church a couple months ago. My life was totally in the dumps, just completely broken, sad family, not doing well. But pastor, I'm telling you now, I'm on fire for God. I see God slowly putting together my family. That's what happens in the church is the lives of men and women that come in broken, get healed, they get restored. We need the wealth of this world in the hands of the righteous. Can somebody say amen? Come on. I don't think anybody walked out. I'm surprised. Come on. If you, if you want to talk more, about that, you can email Stacy at awakenchurch.com. She'll. 
Point number two, the prophet Jeremiah, God speaking to the children of Israel in Babylonian captivity. He says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, uh, on and on and on. And then he says, um, to seek the welfare of the city. Point number two, seek the welfare of the city. The great irony to me, I was thinking about this, the word welfare means to be faring well. It means to be prospering and healthy and vibrant. But then welfare only goes to people who are not prospering and not vibrant. And if they go do a, if the police are called to do a welfare check, it's because they think you're dead. So it's like the word welfare has been hijacked. The word welfare means to be doing great. I am faring very well. So God says to the children of Israel, to the people of God, seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare. He doesn't say keep the welfare of your city. He says seek it. The city you live live in should be better off because you're in it. Jesus said in Matthew on the, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. He did not say blessed are the peace keepers. To keep the peace means you maintain something that already exists. It just means you don't lose it. It's like, hey, there's peace right now. Just don't mess it up. To make peace means to go into a place where there is conflict and create peace. And a lot of times the only way to create peace is to go to war. Every good nation that goes to war, goes to war because they want the result to be peace. The reason that we joined World War II was to create peace for our allies. Germany was going all over the place and we went in to stop that and create peace. And it's ironic, but the purpose of war ultimately, again, there's wicked, wicked rulers that want to leverage war to take territory and push their selfish agenda. But for well-meaning nations, the purpose of warfare is to create peace. Sometimes to create peace, you got to get in a fight. You got to get in a fight sometimes to create peace. We need to be the peacemakers. Now, God says to seek the welfare of the city that you're in. And I, you know, you, you can look at the big cities of America and they're not faring very well. Almost all of them with very leftist, very liberal policies. The homicide rate in major U.S. cities, get this, has gone up 30%. The biggest jump ever in the history of collecting this data. More ironically the number of arrests for violent crimes has gone down by 24%. So you have 30% more violent crimes and 24% less arrests for violent crimes. It's lawlessness. It's the product of defund the police. It's the product of, you know, let's, let's loosen accountability for people that make bad choices. It's literally parenting 101. You make a bad choice, you have a consequence. That's how it works, okay? Cities are not faring well because the principles of God are not at play in those cities. And I want you guys to understand this is very important. Then we're gonna get to point three and we're gonna spend some time praying as we close out. You know, we're, we're on mission at this church. Like, I am hell-bent 
heaven-bent, and determined to see Pastor Marco Contreras elected, to see Jesse Vigil elected, to see Karen Dominguez elected, to see Karen elected, to see... And I think sometimes you can get a little like, you know, I'm just tired of hearing about it, and it's, it's just so much. And, and we can get so focused on, on just that thing that you forget why we're doing the thing. And you need to understand that God has designed the universe to operate a certain way. And when you don't live your life in accordance with that design, it's bad for you. You can take a Prius off-roading. Nothing will stop you. You can pull up to the trailhead in your Prius very quietly. No one will know you're coming. <laughs> and it's not like there's some invisible force field that's like, oh my gosh, I... no one will stop you. You can just take off and be this loud. But that's not what your Prius was designed for. You're going to get about 90 yards into the trail and your car will break because you are using it outside of what the designer designed it for. And it was designed to be really quiet. And that's about it. <laughs> oh my goodness. There was a flight that left um, uh, Miami, Florida. This is, a, this is a couple decades ago. Left Miami, Florida, um, flying to, I think it was Chile. And it was a red-eye flight, left at like 12.45 in the middle of the night. And uh, got up over the ocean, and it's pitch black. You can't see anything. You're, you're flying you know, by your instruments. There's just ocean. It's, it's nighttime. So no vis visual references whatsoever. And the pilots were flying, and they noticed their altimeter, which is the device that tells you how high off the ground the plane is, very important when you're flying a plane, was just kind of acting erratically. And they were just kind of starting to get a little nervous. It doesn't seem right. And they can't you know, see anything to measure, to visual reference where they are um, altitude-wise. So they were radioing you know, back to, to Miami, international. Hey, something's up. We'd, we feel like maybe we ought to turn around. And so they, the altimeter had malfunctioned. And so the airplane they believed was several thousand feet off of the surface of the water because that's what their altimeter was telling them. The reality was the actual truth was that the airplane was zooming along at 400 miles an hour, only a few hundred feet off the surface of the Gulf of Mexico. So that was the truth. That was the reality. The actual nature of the universe at that moment in time was that the airplane was a couple hundred feet off of the surface of the Gulf of Mexico. They believed, and they believed with all their heart. They believed, it wasn't like the, the pilots were, you know, just reckless and flippant. They had their instruments and they believed with all that they had that they were actually thousands of feet above the surface of the water. But it doesn't matter if what you believe is not in alignment with the actual truth, it's very dangerous. And so, very tragically, they made a turn to turn back to Miami, Florida, and the wing dipped into the water and the aircraft just exploded. I mean, it was gone. Everybody on the aircraft died and it was really tragic because, and, and again, not out of a sense of, of rebellion or anger. It was just they believed something that wasn't true. And when people believe things about the nature of the world that are not true, it will harm them. That's why 
we're so passionate. Like God has designed human sexuality to function a certain way. And when it doesn't operate that way, it brings harm. It brings dysfunction. That's, that's the reason. It's not fundamentalist. It's not old-fashioned. It's not backwards. It's not bigoted. It's not hateful. It's actually, listen, this is the way that the universe was designed to operate, and by context, by consequence, you in it. This will produce the best life for you. Being generous with your money. Well, I mean, pick a principle that we preach about at Awakened Church, and it's not our principles. It comes from this book. It comes from the, the revealed word of God because God has disclosed himself in Jesus Christ and in this word saying, hey, if you want your life to flourish, align it with this. So the reason we care about getting people like Pastor Marco Contreras in office is not because we're power hungry and we need to win and da-da-da. God is all-powerful. We are already victorious. It's because when godly men and women are in positions of power, they create legislation. Is that my phone? No, okay. They create legislation that is in alignment with the principles of God that govern the universe, and it produces human flourishing. That's the why. We have a mandate and a mission to bring heaven to earth. That's what it means to seek the welfare of your city. So me and Katie, and I'm bringing my kids because they're really cute and I think it's going to help, are going to go knocking doors in a Marco Contreras t-shirt. We're going to ask for their ballot. We're going to say, hey, here's the candidates you need to vote for if you want this seed to get better and not worse. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's not really my personality type. It actually gives me a little anxiety, a stranger danger a little bit for me. But you know what? I don't care because my comfort is not what matters. What matters is me seeking the welfare of the city that I'm in. And so I'm going to put my own personal preferences, my time, my comfort aside, and I'm going to go and do everything I can to put godly men and women of, of, of well, I started talking too fast and I think I had a mini stroke, to get men and godly men and women in positions of power in our city. There we go. I'm out of, pra- I'm out of practice, y'all. Whew. And point number three, he says, seek the welfare of the city you're in and pray for it. And if we're not praying for our city, we're not doing it right. Now, I was a little hesitant to actually bring this up as a point because I, I don't, you can't just pray. And I think sometimes, you know, we kind of like, we think we're doing everything because we're, you know, we're, oh God, please bless the city in Jesus' name, amen. Cool, I'm good. And we don't do the actual seeking part, you know. In the book of James, it says that faith without works is dead. You can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, but if that praying does not actually spurn you on to action, then you're not really, you're not doing it right. But it is massively important that we pray for our city. And I'm going to give you a quick case study. As Adrian fades in, the Holy Spirit is now here with this luscious sonic bed. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I want to tell you about, who's heard of Dr. David Yongi Cho? He was a pastor in South Korea, passed away last year, I think it was. Uh, started a church called the Yoido Full Gospel Church in South Korea in 1950. Started it with his mother-in-law, which is insane to me. I, lo- I have an amazing mother-in-law. I love Pam Ward to death. But starting a church with your mother-in-law is just, but he did started a church in South Korea. At the time, in 1950, South Korea had a Christian population of 3% 
only 3% of the nation of South Korea professed Christianity. And I'm gonna put a slide up, go ahead and put that first one up. This is the population growth of Yoido Gospel Church. It was and is the largest church in the world, capping out at about 830,000 members. Um, Dr. David Yonggi Cho, his church has 50,000 connect groups. 50,000 connect groups, to put that in scope a little bit. So this is the trajectory from 1950 till now of the growth of one church in South Korea, a church, or I'm sorry, a, a country, a nation that is as big as the state of Indiana, okay? That's how big South Korea is. Now I want you to go to the next slide. This is along the exact same time, time frame, the percentage of Christians in South Korea. Started out in 1950 when he started the church at 3%. And upon Dr. David Yonggi Cho's death, about 30%, at one point, 33% of the nation of South Korea professed Christianity and belief in Jesus Christ. 10X, that's right. Go to the next slide. This one, this one blows me away. The orange line is the gross domestic product of the nation of South Korea, which is the main indicator for economic health. When Dr. David Yonggi Cho, one church, one pastor, started his church out of, you know, whatever, 200 nations in the world, South Korea was ranked 40th in gross domestic product. Upon Dr. David Yonggi Cho, one pastor, one man of God, one church, South Korea, a country the same size as the state of Indiana, has the number 10 gross domestic product in the world. Now, the green line is the population of North Korea, of South Korea over those 70 years. It has not changed. It's not like there's just more Christians because there's more people. The population of South Korea has, has maintained relatively flat for the last 70 years. Now I want to show the next slide. This is all of those on top of each other. I want you to look at how the health, the economic health of the nation and the amount of believers in the nation is directly correlated to the growth of one church in one nation. And Dr. David Yonggi Cho, who was, I mean, there's a YouTube video where he lists kind of all the things he oversees and it's like 50 minutes long. He, he had universities and I mean, the, the list is insane of the things of responsibility that were under him. And he spent four to five hours every single day praying for his country, praying for his nation, praying for the welfare of the city that God had placed him in and literally changed an entire country, changed the country. Not just like, you know, church got bigger, like the economic health of the entire country was shifted because of a church and because of the devotion to prayer of a pastor. And so we have a mandate to pray for our city. And I wanna be honest with you, maybe at times it's, it may feel clunky and it may feel like, I don't really wanna do this, I wanna pray for me or I don't wanna pray at all. Listen, you will find that it's like, the most distracted you will ever be in your life is when it's time to sit down and read the Bible and pray. Like I can cruise Instagram for like 
I'm like, where did 90 minutes just go? It's like I blinked and 90 minutes went by and I've just been doing this. It doesn't matter. My kids can be yelling, like the house can be on fire and just. But then I like sit down to pray and it's like, oh, squirrel. Why do you think that is? Because there's warfare around it. Duh. That's why. It's hard. It takes discipline to sit down and go to battle for your city. So I want you to hop to your feet. We're actually going to take a little bit of time. And we're going to pray for our city. And we're going to be sure we're going to get you guys out of here in just a minute. But I want to actually walk us through what it looks like to pray for your city. I'm actually going to just put some people on the spot and bring them up to pray too. So if you're on the front row, be ready. And what, we, what I'm going to do is we'll just take three different topics and I'll pray for a minute-ish. And then the, when I say amen, the worship team is going to just sing a chorus of a song. And I want you to pray. I want you to pray out loud. And I, the worship team is going to play nice and loud so you don't feel weird. But I want you to actually use the, the words that I say as a guide. So you'll, you'll know how to pray. To, to, you'll, you can, of course, say your own prayer, but you can use some of my words if you need to. I don't care. I want to I teach us and show us how to pray for your city. And so I'm going to pray for a minute. And then when I say amen, I want you guys to take a minute and just pray. And then I'm going to pull somebody up on stage. We're going to pray for something else. We're going to do that. We'll just do this three or four times. And let's just go to battle for our city. Let's go to battle for our city. If South San Diego does not look better because we're in it, then we're, what are we doing? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. If there's not real results, real results, if the divorce rate in South San Diego is not lower 10 years from now than it is right now, then what are we doing? If the level of depression in our teenagers is not lower 10 years from now than it is now, then what are we doing? If the level of violent crime 10 years from now is not lower than it is right now, then what are we doing? We have to see results in our city. So come on, let's begin to pray. I'm gonna pray right now for revival in South San Diego in the region that God has given us. I'm gonna pray for a minute and I'm gonna say amen. And then I want you to pray, pray out loud. Pray to God for revival in South San Diego. God, I thank you. Your word says that people once walked in darkness, but then they saw a great light that the message of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, that it brings liberation to the captives. And God, we declare right now revival is coming to South San Diego. Revival is coming to Eastlake. Revival is coming to Chula Vista. Revival is coming to Benita, to Coronado, to National City, to San Ysidro. God, revival coming. God, I just see thousands and thousands of cars on the road at 9 a.m., at 11 a.m., driving to church, families waking up early on Sunday mornings, getting ready, knowing that the only place they're going is the house of the Lord. God, we declare that there is going to be transformation, that the, the scales will fall off, that men and women will realize that the only hope they have, the only place to get true purpose is in the house of God. We pray for revival in South San Diego. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, let's pray, let's pray. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.